the Gerontological Society of America, Advancing Innovation in Aging. Welcome to GSA on Aging. I'm Howard Dagenholtz, social media editor of The Gerontologist, a bi-monthly publication of the Gerontological Society of America. Professor Ann Dickerson is an occupational therapist. She's a researcher and a practitioner at East Carolina University, and her area of research and expertise is transportation and aging. I spoke to her about her recent paper in The Gerontologist. Hi, Howard. Hi, Ann. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Let's jump right in. What is a driving evaluation? It's a, it's a really excellent question because there's many different um, ideas of what a driving evaluation is. So you go to the DMV as a 16-year-old and you get a driving evaluation and it, you, know, you get your vision test, you take a knowledge test, and then you go for a ride for about 10 minutes. And so the, the DMV is testing whether you know your road rules and can handle the car. But when I talk about a driving evaluation, I'm really talking about a comprehensive driving evaluation where someone, there's a question about their driving fitness. And so I, as an occupational therapist and driving rehabilitation specialist, I check their vision. I do cognitive assessments. I do uh, physical assessments, see how their um, mobility, you know, their strength, their reaction time. And for cognition, the processing time, how can they think, see things in the environment and process it fast enough so they can physically make a decision and respond to it. Um, so you do clinical assessments and then you go on behind the wheel. So how do, the clinical assessment informs you about what issues you might need to be aware of and so that you're watching and making sure that you do a full um, driving evaluation, which takes um, at least 45 minutes to an hour to take them on the road and um, starting in the quiet neighborhood and then, mm-hmm. you know, um, getting in more and more traffic. Do you think that if you uh, assessed an adult who is not referred to you on suspicion, would they pass? Uh, you mean somebody that's cognitively intact? Yeah. And, you know, like... Um, I I have driven, I've done studies with, you know, everyday individuals in in the community, and and yes, of course, they would pass, because this is not about being a perfect driver. Okay. It's about being a, you know, because the reality of it is we all make mistakes. You know, most most people have been in a crash at some point in their life, Um, and crashes are typically human mistakes. Um, and, and for the, you know, although there are a, a severe crash is, is pretty rare, most people have the little um, thump or bumper, you know, in the parking lot or right. something like that. And it's, it's just, a, you know, a loss of attention, um, you know, not seeing some, they're in their blind spot, and, and hopefully you learn from those mistakes. And what, would, what is the most important thing we can do to improve transportation for older adults? Oh, one the most important thing, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that there is just one thing because it's such a complex issue. Um, and there's, each community has different issues. So in, say, a larger city that has some public transportation, their issue is about making sure 
Um, they are public transport transportations accessible for older adults. For example, some simple things is at bus stops putting a bench so that an older person that doesn't have the stamina can sit down. Or, you know, if you're in the south, you need a cover so that they're not sitting or standing in the sun. But in the smaller communities where there there is limited public transportation, it's a totally different issue. Um, I, you know, there is uh, so much planning that needs to be and um, be done. And and the reality, I mean, and the reality of in our country is. We can't make everything perfect because it's so expensive. So it really does fall onto um, families and, and our older adults. And uh, my my push right now is making a transportation plan. So just as you may do retirement planning, um, just as people think about where they want to retire to and live out, are they going to move to a... Um, a retirement community? Are they going to move from the um, harsh winters to the south where they don't have to deal with that because of um, all of the mobility issues? They need to think about what are they going to do in terms of long-term transportation planning because everyone's living longer, and that's really good news, But and we all want to drive, you know, drive forever, but the reality is the research shows that older adults will outlive their driving ability by six to ten years. So it's important to make those plans, that transportation plan for the six to ten years. I was just evaluating and I was speaking with a, um, a woman, and she's relatively young. She's 71, and she was in a car crash a year ago. It wasn't her fault, but re- recovering from that car crash was really difficult, and so now... She wanted to get back to driving, but it impacted her physical physical ability. Cognitively, she was fine. But we went out on the comprehensive. We went on on the drive with her, and and what what I spoke to her about was the fact that she under you know there's no problem with her thinking ability, but what she was she wasn't fast enough physically. And then as everybody slows down when they're older, and so she was slowing down to compensate for that, but then she was driving 10 to 20 miles slower than everybody else, and then that becomes That's dangerous. Um, a, uh, a problem. Yeah. And what we discussed was about making a transportation plan, and she wanted to buy a new car, and we talked about, well, what about using it. At some point, she's going to need to retire. What about making that transition now? And um, and I, we talked about Uber, taxi. Oh, that's so expensive. But I told her, and, and she, and I said, well, how, did, how much does it cost for a car? Well, it costs, you know, $50 a month for gas, 40 for insurance. Right. And, and I said, well, let's just assume all the places you want to go were covered by a taxi or Uber. It might even be $100 a month. And she said, yeah, that's a lot. I said, yes, but you're planning to spend 28000 on a vehicle. Right. So you just, you know, it's making the math and doing the math, and there's so many more options available. So another thing we as a society and communities can do is make sure some of these alternative options are available. Um, there's volunteer um, driving programs. 
but they are getting bogged down in some of the legalities and insurance. And so I think at a policy level, that's what I think looking at the policies for volunteer programs, for alternative transportation is really what we need to do if, if I had to pick one thing. So I want to dig into... Oh, that's a long answer to the question. <laughs> uh, I want to dig into the Uber, Lyft, um, ride-sharing yeah. economy and really ask you what you think are the pros and cons of it. And the example you gave, it seems like a, a good solution for that woman. But I'm, I wonder if what you're thinking is around people who are further along in terms of their mobility sure. or cognition. Sure. Um, and, you're, yeah, and that's a very good question because I think for, yes, for this individual who has a smartphone, knows how to use it, knows how to use, get on Amazon, that's what I'm saying, she's, she was computer literate, so it was really a good potential and um, to go. But, but individuals that have some cognitive impairment, um, that, that's not the option they should be using. They, um, they really do need to depend on friends and family. Um, and, and some of these volunteer, um, volunteer driving programs are designed to do the door through door. So the meaning they'll pick them up at the door, they'll take them to the vehicle um, and take them to their appointment or where they need to go. Certainly, um, most communities that have public transportation, there is, uh, you can call and they have a service where the public transportation can provide that service. Right. So, it, again, it depends on your community. Um, but I do want to mention GoGo Grandparent is an excellent service for individuals that are not computer savvy, um, but really still can um, get to the place they need, you know, the, place, the grocery store and back. And GoGo Grandparent is a um, is basically a concierge service where they call a phone number and they provide the they do the logistics of getting a vehicle there. But it's a um, service for the call for the person. They can call on the phone rather than try to use a smartphone. Right. And they, then it's automatically transferred out of their bank account with the concierge service on that. So that's an excellent service for that transition time. I assume that's more um, expensive. And the reality of it is someone with a cognitive impairment, with the beginning dementia, um, really learning to use some of those services not an option. And so it really is a burden on families and friends. And um, But that's why that making that transportation plan early when they first um, have the diagnosis, those transportation planning needs to happen at that point. Um, unfortunately, what happens many times is families or uh, for, for families don't want to make the decision. They don't want to take that independence away from their their father, their mother, and so they delay mom or dad is in an accident, and then it becomes a crisis. And that accident doesn't have to be um, a horrible accident, but but just enough to um, have that person very upset, very confused, and then it becomes an overnight issue rather than a transitional process. What we're doing in our program right now is really um, putting, in, in North Carolina, um, it's a state, fortunately, that can have um, uh, a restricted license, so we can they can still drive within five miles of their familiar home, which is helpful. So 
So that's a nice transition plan is um, that self-regulation, and that's what is talked about in this article, that people do, um, most older adults are, are safe drivers, and they self-regulate by not driving at night, not driving in bad weather, not you know avoiding um, highway traffic. And so for the most part, the majority of our older, our older adults do self-regulate. Um, unfortunately, for those that are very dependent on the car, they live in those rural communities, it becomes much more of an issue. Um, and then for our um, individuals that have the cognitive impairment, they don't have the insight to self-regulate. That's when they need to have that comprehensive driving evaluation. I want to ask you about Uber and Lyft again, because you mentioned oh, the, yes. I'm sorry. The, the door through door, yeah. which my yeah. Uber and Lyft don't do that. That's not part of what you're no. No. paying for. They do not do door to door. I'm wondering if uh, older adults think that they might be able to get a door-to-door assistance from an Uber driver? Um, I think that the the need will help with that. Um, I know in the town I live, there are several other transportation services that actually do door-to-door. And so Uber and Lyft right now, they are really designed for those individuals that um, can use a smartphone and come out. Um, it's really going to be the specialized services that will do that door through door um, and help with the groceries. And I think um, GoGo Grandparent is one of them that goes a little bit further. Um, you know, they may get out and help the door, and they may do door through door, and it depends. Sometimes it depends on the driver. I know with some Uber drivers, um, they they get my luggage in the, the trunk, and others will pop the trunk. So it's it's also on an individual basis, but um, so any of those ride sharing, we'll we'll see more ride sharing. I think for individuals that need more assistance. So you think the market um, and they'll will be called something else. You think the market will uh, adjust? I think the market will drive some of those, um, but I do think that um, you know we need to do research. I mean, I think that's one of the things that the Transportation Aging Interest Group does is really, and right, is we really need research to show that these um, services are needed. And the main, I, you know, we can talk about the services being expensive, but compared to if, if people had transportation to get to where they need and want to go, it's going to be a lot cheaper than having them in assistive living or long-term care facilities, because if they can't get to the doctor, they can't get to their medication, they can't get to the grocery store, that's what happens. They'll um, not get the services they need, and they will need to be, you know, in the hospital, in the long-term care services, and certainly that's an astronomical cost. So it's really much cheaper to invest in transportation and mobility services and all the other services we need. And we, we absolutely know that we don't have enough um, long-term care facilities for all the people that are aging, um, which is why the emphasis on aging in place. Now, do you think we have enough transportation providers uh, currently to meet the, the need that's out there? No. No, I don't think we do. Um, but it'll, and it'll, take a, it'll take a greater grow 
in both public and, and private. We really need to address some of these issues at a policy level. Um, I was a delegate to the White House Conference on Aging back in 2005, and transportation was like a number three issue for the older adults there. Now, there was a um, White House conference in 2010. Transportation was was integrated, but it wasn't highlighted. And one of the things that I really think that people don't understand about older adults um, and that it's just not about providing transportation. It's understanding what the car means for um, older adults. And when I was thinking about talking with you, I was thinking, um, I really believe for for us, and I'm a baby boomer, for me, my car when I was growing up was my social networking vehicle. So we didn't, you know, we didn't use our phones and we didn't use, you know, we didn't, we didn't have computers. So driving at 16, getting that license and going out to the drive-in movie, going down to the football game, <laughs> our vehicle was yeah. our way. I call it right. our social networking and when I think about, when, when I would talk to my students and said, which would you give up, your phone or your car? And overwhelmingly, they'd say, oh, I'd never give up my phone. That's how they connect to the world. Right. You ask a group of baby boomers, and they'll say, I'll give up the phone any day. Give me my car. So the car has much more meaning to older adults than just getting to where they want to go. And I think there's many people... They, you know, um, children and grandchildren will say, I'll drive you there, and, and it really is about the car. It's really that sign of independence. So we need to understand that driving is also what's important to them. Do you and think... it's their way of they connected with other people, and I think it's really important to... That's a, that's a grieving process. So, Anne, and I... so it's not just... Go ahead. So, Anne, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off because um, I think you're yeah. getting into something interesting. But I want to I ask you, as a baby boomer, thinking about these yeah. issues, do you think that the rideshare services, the way they're constructed, the way you can order it up on demand, tell them where you want to go, it's all on your phone. You don't yeah. even have to talk to a person if you don't want to. Do you think that is a... Uh, substitute for that feeling of independence? Do you think that it transfers to those ride-sharing services in ways that no, maybe not, no, riding the bus doesn't? And that's doesn't? why you have to understand it. Um, it will get them to where they need and want to go, but it still doesn't substitute, and that's, that's where that... It's, it's understanding the complexity of the issue. Interesting. So, so you don't think that it's an easy uh, transition to using a service? Absolutely. Uh, no, I mean, I think people can learn that service, and the sooner they can learn it, the better. And that's why I talked about that transportation plan. So if you can, so let's say you're an older adult, you live in, and you, you can still drive and there's no problem, but you're now can't, you know, you have some vision, there's glare, so you don't want to drive at night. And so people don't go out at night. And that's a great time to try an Uber, right. try some ride sharing, so that you can see, and you're, there's not a problem about using it. And it's like, wow, this is this is pretty good. Now I can go out at night. That's exactly that, that's what I'm thinking. Thing. And so yeah. that's helping that transition and understanding. Um, but you know, you know, there's always going to be, um, it, you know, the the um, 
the older baby boomer, the guy that loved his sports car, and and you know you see them at the the shows, the you know vintage cars. I mean, because sometimes it's more just about the car, right? <laughs> um, so right, because the the car. It's understanding is a, that yeah. you know that maybe they can still have the car, but right. they still need to get help when they need to go, go into town. And what got you interested in this line of research? Oh, um, I, um, and as an occupational therapist, um, I was teaching OT and I needed to get a doctorate and I got a doctorate in developmental psychology with aging and older adults. So my research area was older adults and as an occupational therapist, it was the functional performance. Um, and the difference, you know, there is a difference because of aging between young and old adults. And I heard a presentation on um, driving, and it was, um, and I love to drive myself, and it was like there was such a gap. Um, there's, there was, OTs weren't addressing driving and mobility, and so it was like a perfect, perfect topic for me. And so back in 2003 is when I started um, knowing that I wanted to do research in this area and work in this area, and it's been a, a real passion because um, I think we have come a long way as occupational therapists to really much better at addressing these issues, much better at um, assessing someone and having the message, the, um, framing the message. It's not all about the test. You know, I, I just told, I told you earlier about a driving assessment, but um, what I, I, the most of the time I spent with that woman was talking about how she can prepare for the next 20 years effectively. Um, and I think that's, that's what, where we need to make sure that we have a safety net, that we don't just say, well, you know, you, you need to stop driving and here's some phone numbers of Uber and Lyft and um, whatever. <laughs> um, I think the message needs to be, hey, um, as you're getting older, let's start planning Let's start planning your bathroom that, you know, you need maybe a, you know, you want to get one of those um, showers with a seat in it. And right. people are, change their homes as they age, and they need to think about their transportation plan. I want to thank you so okay. much for taking the time to uh, speak with me about this. It was really, it was really interesting and really valuable. All right. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the opportunity to um, just get the message out there. Hey, I wanted to call and talk to you about uh, some uh, another paper that I read. Do you have a couple minutes to talk? Oh, sure. Okay, great. So, you know how we were talking about your wanting to get a new car? Right. So, I've got a question for you. What would you do if you couldn't drive anymore? How would you get around? Oh, wow, I don't know. I would have to depend upon other people, including and mostly father, who's never never around. You know, he, during the day, he's, he's usually busy. And I would have to call Uber. You'd use an Uber? I would, yeah, probably. Or Lyft, one of them. I would have, you know, I would have to go with a car service for anything that was out of the immediate area. Okay. So over the past, 
I don't know, year or so, have you modified your driving habits? Have you changed the way you drive or where you drive? The only modification has been because of my walking. Because if I can, I can drive. I can drive. I have complete control of the car, and I'm, you know, I'm not forgetting things or anything. But um, it, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, a lot of my life has been modified because of because of a very bad back. But I can drive, and I can get to places. So, do you see at a time when you might not be able to drive? Oh, to be honest with you, I'm closing my eyes to it. I don't want to, I, I really can't even accept that as, as being a part of my life because I've always been very independent. And a good part of it has been being able to get into the car and go wherever I want to go, which I can still do, but when I get to the other end, whether it's here at the house or... You know, wherever I'm going, I, I may need help walking. Um, but once I get where I'm going, I'm, I'm okay. What about any of your friends? What about them? Have any of them stopped driving? No. No. Nobody has stopped driving. Interesting. We're, we're they... in a very car-oriented society. Unfortunately, it, it's not easy to get from place to place without a car. Right. Right. Do people talk and about it? No, not really, because we're all pretty mobile. Even though um, most of my friends are in their late 70s and, you know, early 80s, we're not talking spring chickens here. Uh, but people have to take care of you know, take care of themselves. When, once you're thrown into the middle of it and you can't drive at all, it's pretty much, I, I wouldn't call it a death sentence, but it pre- pretty much keeps you close to home and and in the good graces of your friends and family. I'm thinking back to when Uncle Alan was um, still driving, but there were a lot of people who thought that he shouldn't have the keys anymore because he was right. denting up right. the car because all the time. He, he wasn't processing information, and he uh, was getting lost, and he was making um, mistakes in his driving. His, perce- his visual perception was going also. What was that like? Did Were you involved with Aunt Margie and dealing with that? You know, unfortunately... And Margie did not fully tell us what was going on. I think this, for for almost a year, Daddy and I suspected something was happening, but we weren't sure. She wasn't saying anything, and he wasn't saying anything. Excuse me. And um, one night we went out for dinner, we went to a, a restaurant that was between our house and, and you know, Uncle Alan's house. And she had come in from the city to from work, and he had been home, and we were waiting for him to come to join us for dinner. Now, he, it was 
a straight run from their house to the restaurant, and it shouldn't have taken more than five minutes. But we were there for maybe 40 minutes until he he came in. And he looked a little confused and perplexed. He said he, you know, he had not gotten lost, but he really was not, he hadn't taken the right street or something. He made an excuse for what had happened. And she never said a word. And it wasn't until almost uh, six or eight months later that they let us, basically let us in on what was happening. Right. Have you ever used an Uber or a Lyft? No. Never? No. Have any of your friends? Yeah, and family. What, yes. do, you, what do you think about it? As an idea or as a reality? It is a reality. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, no, I know, but, you know, the, the... As a service, do you think it's safe? Do you think it's useful? Do you think it's too expensive? What do you think? From what I've heard from people who have used used it, most people are very satisfied. The price is right. The, the, the drivers are usually very polite. Um, the cars are clean. A lot of our friends take Uber to the airport, you know, or... Uh, short trips or whatever, and it always seems to work out. And I've read stuff in the newspapers about uh, surly drivers and, you know, things that happen with, with drivers in both Uber and Lyft. And I think you take the same chance with a regular licensed uh, cab. So the, the word of mouth is positive and from what you've heard. Yeah, the word of mouth is positive. What about somebody, an older person who really has some mobility difficulties, like they have a, a cane or a walker or, or something, do you think Uber mm -hmm. is appropriate for them? You know, the only thing I would question is when you, when they get to the end of the trip, is if someone is alone and needs help, will they help them? you know, to the door of a, of a medical building, for instance. Um, you know, someplace where they could, could get assistance from inside. Well, do you think it's their job? No, I don't think that's part of the job description. But sometimes people are very kind and they will help. Do you think that it's reasonable to expect that or ask that of a driver? I think it's reasonable to ask it. Um... I would hope that most people driving, um, you know, one of these private services would have enough, I don't want to say that, maybe compassion or just goodness within them to help somebody who obviously needs to be helped, not even out of the, out of the car, but from, this, from the car to the door of the building. I think it can be worked out. I think that's very optimistic. Well, I prefer to be optimistic than not. <laughs> okay, listen, I'm going to... Either I'll, that or I have to call you. Well, okay, I'll be there in six hours to help you out of the car. Right, right. That, that's the old... Um, who, who's the science fiction writer? Kurt Vonnegut, I think, who, who wrote a book, and he, he was doing a screenplay, 
and he lives here in, in the New York area, and he had to go back and forth to California to work on the, uh, to work on the book, on, on the script, and uh, he told people in California that he didn't fly. So they said, well, what do we do if we need you? He says, you call me, get on the train, and I come to California, you know, and four days later, I'm there. <laughs> so, you know, uh, right. yeah, look, people can do anything they have to do. If, if, it, if it takes a lot of money, some peop- many people would be, would be stopped in their tracks. If it takes a minimal amount of money and kindness from the people that you're dealing with, I think anything can be done. I'm going to let you go. Have a nice day. I'll talk to you later. Okay, thanks. Love you. You too. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more about The Gerontologist and to read its latest articles, visit the journal website at geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging, to encourage exchanges among researchers and practitioners from various disciplines related to gerontology, and to foster the use of gerontological research in informing public policy.